Welcome to the XY Advisor podcast. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. podcast is proudly sponsored by Spider ETFs. From ETFs to model portfolios, Spider relentlessly pursues new ways to provide solutions to investors' most complex investment challenges. And for investors who want to align their values to their investment strategies, the Spider S&P ASX200 ESG Fund or E200 can be a sustainable alternative to Australia's flagship benchmark. This material is general information only. Investing involves risks including the risk of principal. Investors should consider the PDS available SSGA.com before making an investment decision. Products issued by State Street Global Advisors, Australia Services Limited, AFSL number 2 38276 ABM 42003914225. G'day, Clayton here from XY chatting with Liz. Thanks for coming on, Liz. Thank you for having me. Oh, look, it's uh, we were talking just before we started. I'm definitely surprised we haven't had you on before, but uh, perhaps we've been saving you for this special ethical investment series, which, um, which we were chatting about just before we hit the record button, but you were saying there's a lot to it, but there's a lot to it. And then it depends on how deep you want to go into it with clients. And I'm keen to understand what that means. Yeah. So look, the example I was um, about to give you was that I had one client in particular who is very strict vegan and her requirements were such that I couldn't actually meet them. I had to refer her out to a stockbroker to actually pick her a direct share portfolio to sort of work around her um, specific requirements. So she's sort of at the most extreme end of the spectrum. Um, And, you know, one thing that was an eye-opener for me is that animals or the exploitation of animals from her perspective is actually built into every layer of our economy and it's really hard to avoid it. Um, so when you want to go to the extreme of like, I don't want to invest in companies that sell meat or transport meat or that, you know, test on animals or, you know, it knocks out supermarkets and medical companies. And it's just like, I'm left with nothing here. So, um, (laughs) right. So you can't even invest in Woolworths because Woolworths sells meat. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's, as I said, the most extreme end of the spectrum I've had. And in that case, I sort of said to her, look, you're getting into uh, direct share territory now um, because there's no managed fund in the world that's going to, like, I mean, there's vegan super um, and there is a vegan ETF that's listed on the American Stock Exchange, but there aren't any non-super managed funds in Australia that can tick your boxes. So um, you actually need a very specific portfolio of, of direct shares and that's not you know, my wheelhouse and you're under for CE, like refer out if it's not your area of expertise. So I did end up, you know, referring her out for that part of the advice and she just comes back to me for strategic stuff. Um, But it was important that I go through the process with her of, um, as I said, peeling that onion and getting through the layers of what was actually important to her for me to realise that I I couldn't actually help her. So, you know, and then at the other end, um, people might actually be a lot more relaxed than you think they are. So, you know, I had one client come in and it's like, oh, you know, I'm very concerned about climate change. And this has been something that's coming up a lot um, since the bushfires in December, January. Um, so like more than it ever, ever has before. And um, so I said, okay, you're worried about climate change, you know, just how strict do you want to um, be here? 
And the answer for him was, well, not, not very strict. <laughs> so, you know, I was all prepared to, uh, you know, put him in this um, tailored portfolio that avoided all of these fossil fuel companies or whatever. But he really just wanted companies that weren't just straight out coal um, and that were actually sort of moving in, you know, in, in the right direction. So he was relatively easy to construct a portfolio for. So it's not just, um, you know, are you an ethical investor, yes or no? Because if you just ask that question, in my experience, about 50, it's 50-50, right? Half, half the clients are like, yep, I'm, I want to be ethical. Half of them are like, oh, I don't care. And then there's that awkward silence where they're looking at me like, are you judging me that I don't care? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's definitely a key part of it. I, I remember the first time I went through this series, I was thinking about how difficult it was to bring the subject up. And at the job of the financial planner, our job is to walk a client through really just a journey to figure out what it is that they want. And it's not, mm-hmm. it's not the role of the financial planner to decide what's good or what's bad. And, and definitely we want to avoid a position of, of uh, being, you know, judging. And mm. yet the question around ethical investments is unavoidably yeah. almost set up to be an awkward silence. And so <laughs> I said, I, I remember going through the first uh, ethical series and eventually my big learning that I got at the end of it was uh, rather than asking someone if that they're an ethical investor is to, is to use a everyday example to open the, open the conversation. So for example, um, when you go shopping, do you look, do, do you purposely, you know, purchase eggs that are free range rather than caged? Mm. And so that question sort of opened up the, the continuation and, and the, and the, what you've called the onion peeling. Right. And so you Mm. can sort of figure out at what stage someone goes, you know, like I'd never eat an egg. And then another person goes, Oh, I'd eat a free range egg. And then the other person goes, no, it tastes better when it's from a cage. And so like, you know, (laughs) where the individual investor is, and then you just say, sure, you know, like that's great, whatever it is that you want. So yes, there is, I think a huge part of, because, because of phase you have to introduce all this. I think a huge part of it is, figuring out a way that you can talk about it without it mm. seeming like you're coming from a high and might, mighty position. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, your concrete example is great actually, but I actually just rephrased the question because I, after a few of those awkward moments, I, <laughs> I just asked, you know, are there any particular issues that you're concerned with when you're investing? Like yeah. you know, there's certain industries or stocks you'd like to avoid and to That's leave it cool. at that. Yeah. That's Cause good. if you say, Oh, do you, are, do you prefer to invest ethically? It's like, what, are you saying I'm not ethical? Yes, 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 exactly. It's, it's a really difficult question. Um, actually, can you repeat how you, how you decided to position it? Um, yeah, so I just say, look, um, is there a particular approach um, that you'd like to take when you're investing or are there any particular companies that you would prefer to avoid um, or exposure to certain industries? That's basically that's how a, I put it. That is a much better, that's a much better way because then... Because the last thing you want to do is put them in a position where you're making them feel like, um, not even that they're unethical, but even, oh, you're, you're not even consciously minded. Like you don't, you don't even want to, you don't, you don't mm. even want to position it as if it in any way negative, but that's really good because that opens up the question that are you already thinking about this? Is this something you're already concerned about? Because the person who answers yes to that 
then you then the, uh, it's it's the onion peeling begins, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. But then if 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 they say no, there's nothing really there, then then great, okay, cool. So uh, then then the the whole gambit's open. I. I think that's a much better analogy than the caged eggs, Liz, I've got to say. Yeah, the the thing with that is that there are certainly clients that um, don't really care if animals get tortured or not to put dinner on the table, but they do care, uh, you know, whether they invest in tobacco. Like, um, you know, everybody's got their own ethical framework and some people... Um, you know, very much all human first. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's their, yeah. uh, their values. So other people, um, you know, value animal uh, welfare just as high. Yeah. So, you know, it's... And uh, the other thing I have found which has been fascinating for me is that the answers are, are really varied. So, <laughs> um, you know, some clients are like, oh, I don't like alcohol. Others like, oh, it's gambling is my issue. Obviously, the sustainability and, uh, you know, the the climate change thing has, has suddenly rocketed to the forefront just this year. Oh, right. Not so much now, we're all distracted by the pandemic. But um, in that, you know, brief period between the bushfires and, and the virus, um, <laughs> it was coming up a lot. Um, and, you know, it'll change, obviously, depending on what's going on in the world as well and, and what news people are reading. So, um, so, yeah, no, it's very interesting. And... Clients have actually, like clients that I've known a long time, um, because some of my clients come across um, from my previous employers, I've had like a 12 year relationship with them. And because, you know, they've been, I've worked with them since before, you know, we really thought too much about this stuff. Um, I hadn't, I'd only started having the conversation with them more recently. And so some of them have actually um, surprised me. It's like, oh, I've known you 12 years. I didn't know you felt really strongly about this particular thing. (laughs) That's really kind of embarrassing. (laughs) And like, you didn't ask. Like, you're right, I didn't. That's my fault. (laughs) That's so interesting. So there you, like, I mean, in that sense and with that frame, that's awesome, isn't it? That, uh, that I guess one of the positives to take out of this or, or, or the phasia or, you know, work that has to be done is at least that we've got our hands on an, an additional question that allows opening up a conversation that probably financial planners in our whole list of things that an advisor cares about, figuring out you know, the, the ethical tilts of their investments just never made it into that top mm. 10 yeah. or yeah. so, you yeah. know, like there's, there's, I want you to uh, achieve short-term financial, emotional, aspirational goals, medium-term financial, aspiration, emotional, long-term financial, mm. like, like you've got, you've got this so many things that you're trying to achieve that yes, yes. getting to the, what makes you feel fuzzy inside from where your money's invested. It's kind mm. of weird. Like it, it just never became a topic and yet, and now, now it's, now it's a big topic. And so it's, it's a, it's a big shift, I guess, in financial planning, but um, looking at it through the lens that you've just given, I mean, it's a perfect example of why it's actually probably a pretty good thing. Mm. Oh, yeah. And look, you know, I went through kind of an awkward transition phase like four or five years ago where I was asking new clients, but not my old clients. <laughs> uh, and, you know, you get really almost too comfortable in some of these long-term relationships. You know, you yes. stop being, you think you know them and you stop being curious about them. And, and it's like, obviously, I'd listen if they raised it, but, 
you know, it's all of the review meetings are sort of very comfortable and, you know, how's the grandkids and, oh, that's nice. And, you know, you put the new carpet down yet, great. <laughs> <laughs> and we weren't having these um, uh, fundamental conversations about their values anymore that I was having with new clients. So um, I think that's been a real uh, shift that FASIA has brought about, you know, for all that it's brought sort of some grey areas that, uh, you know, some of us are uncomfortable with. It has also... Um, added an extra uh, dimension to this and you know I'm, I'm not sad about it. <laughs> yeah well I mean at the end of the day uh, advisors are constantly wanting to add to the list of things that clients consider valuable and so mm. you know for those that do think about this type of stuff um, yeah I'm, I'm, I mean it's great. What I've um, I, I recently came across some research where you know the concept of ESG environmental social and governance um, basically out of the three topics, E or environmental makes up about 80% of the interest. And then mm. social makes up about 10 and governance makes up about 10. Um, and so realistically, uh, for lack of a better term, it, it it's, um, it's the environment, you know, ha- most people are going to be cons- mostly concerned about the environment. Um, mm. And then if you'd imagine that uh, just like, say, the Green Party, which started out as an environmental thing, but now it's sort of grown into more of a socially conscious uh, Mm. political party. And this is internationally, by the way. Yeah, yeah. All all Green Parties. Um, We might begin to see that. So who knows? Like this year, it's uh, bushfires. Mm. Maybe 10 years down the line, it is, well, are are there, are there, you know, less represented group identities on boards, you know, like, so, so you never know, right? You never know where. Oh, for sure. This is going to become an increasing issue. Yeah. Um, you know, there are already a lot of questions being asked, particularly, you know, in 2020, like about, well, that's, that's a, an all white male board where everybody's over 50. Like, is that actually a good look? Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, as I said, it's not something that's really been at the forefront of mind for my clients, but it's starting to filter through. It, it will happen. It'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it is, it, it's, I mean, it's how it's, it's an interesting way because current, like before ESG investing, if you wanted to get your say across, it was pick up a, a board on a stick and go marching through the street. And that was about the level of influence that you had, you know, it was, mm. was, was crowd protest. Yeah. Um, the, inter- yeah, the interesting thing I find about the ESG investing is that it's using capitalism to achieve um, social changes that people want to see. It's, a, it's mm. a, in one way it's, I mean, hopefully it reduces the, the net the necessity or the need to to you know block traffic in the morning for example (laughs) like like that 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 doesn't win um that doesn't win uh, anyone's favor but uh but you know if enough people start saying actually for example i I mean ingham's chickens comes to mind because i believe i think i read the other day that the 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 founder recently passed away or, or something to that extent but you know, uh, we're no longer going to include you in this portfolio because 
and I'm being theoretical here, I have absolutely no understanding of the company itself. Yeah. Um, but let's say that they're not reaching X, Y, Z, you know, requirements. Mm. And then all of a sudden, rather than blocking traffic in the morning, there's enough people who are asking to be in certain funds that, yeah. I mean, capitalism is like, it's a huge force and it can yeah. be used for good. And I, yeah. I see it actually as a much more effective way to enact change rather than disrupting someone's morning. Like uh, to me, Look, I, positive. I, I actually, you know, agree with you. And I'd like, I guess I'd like to make the point that there are plenty of corporate entities and big ones that are moving much faster on climate change than our government is. Yeah. <laughs> so the corporate is actually ahead of the game. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, our, our current government is, you know, dragging the heels. Obviously they, they like coal and they like the jobs that <laughs> come from yep. the coal and in certain electorates. Yep. Um, and that's, you know, that, that's political. Um, but certainly, you know, there are a lot of very smart people in very big companies, particularly insurance companies, <laughs> obviously. And even, you know, BHP, for example, is trying to push other, pe other members of the Minerals Council of Australia to say, look, it's, it's, it's a thing, guys. Like, you know, you can't actually ignore this. Mm. Um, like, I know, you know, the government's sort of letting us get, a, get away with it, if you like, for now. But um, 10, 20 years down the track, this, it's not actually economically sustainable to keep going in this way. Um, you know, the money is going to shift regardless of whether our government gets on board or not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And it sort of segues into another point that I was going to make today. Um, and that is, like, there's actually two ways, really, of um, influencing these outcomes um, through investment. And, you know, one is just to avoid it, so I'm not going to invest in that. Or, you know, if, if, if you dig this out of the ground, I'm not going to be a part of it. And the other is to actually um, keep skin in the game, actually stay invested so you've got a seat at the table. Um, and I think a really you know, good example of that, you're notwithstanding the debate in our industry around industry funds, good, bad or otherwise, um, just ignore all of that noise and take the example of Australian Super, um, who basically, you know, got the CEO of Rio Tinto fight. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So Australian Super has $1.3 billion invested in yeah. Rio Tinto. And you could say, well, you know, they're a mining company, they've done the wrong thing, you know, if I'm an ethical investor, I don't want to be part of that, blah, blah, blah. But if they hadn't had that kind of leverage, nothing would have come out of uh, the whole incident, you know, where they, they blew up the historical site. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they just had, well, when I say nothing, you know, they had their internal review, it wasn't independent. Um, they said, oh, it's a bit naughty. Um, these two guys should give up their bonuses. And that was that. Was that. It's actually the super funds that said, hang on, that's, that's not good enough. Like, mm. this is a really bad thing you've done here. Our members are angry. The public's angry. Um, this, this shouldn't be just swept under the carpet in, in this way. And, you know, they can just go on and get their bonuses next year. And they forced um, the board to take action. And, you know, it's rolled and, and the independent um, review has been started. You know, not just their little internal whitewash. Um, so if you step away altogether... Then you then you lose that influence, and you know Rio Tinto has still have existed um, overseas or other investors, you know, with with fewer uh, cares to give would have still held the stock if Australian Super hadn't, and you know nothing would have come out of it. Um, so you know that, that's the other thing I put to clients to say, well, you know, you say that you don't want to hold these sort of stocks, but if you just step away from the plate completely, then 
you know, then nothing sort of changes with these companies. You can actually push from the inside as well, be part of a fund manager or a super fund that has a big enough stake in it um, that, that they can push through change that way. Yes. Um, AMP is another one. They, a couple of key, um, in, you know, their key shareholders were, uh, were the ones that put their hand up and said, actually, in regards to these events that have occurred recently um, with some higher, you know, some of their executives, um, mm. we need them to, I think it was very similar, like not just lose their bonus, but actually move, move out of the company. And, and mm. that, that came from the, the shareholders themselves. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely, it's a new world where, which is really good. Uh, like the way that I look at it as, is I think capitalism has taken us out of the, essentially out of the dark ages, but um, along with it, we've, we've just dragged some horrible, horrible sort of practices along the way. Mm. And, and yet it's simply laziness that doesn't take us to the next level. And mm. the human ingenuity is pretty outstanding. It's pretty phenomenal. We've done some amazing things and any problem that is currently being experienced in, in a company and that the shareholders have a new and increased sense of social awareness, um, that these problems will get solved. Like enough, enough heads will roll in enough companies that eventually um, the end result is going to be, actually, we need to do this to ensure that these problems don't happen again. And again, I only, I mean, I only see this as a good thing. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think there is a consciousness shifting that we can't just always chase the next six months of results. Of course not. Um, because, you know, when companies have such a short-term focus, um, they're setting themselves up for a long-term implosion. And certainly, um, you know, a lot of the drama faced by, in, in, by certain firms in our industry <laughs> could have been avoided if they'd played a longer game and, you know, not been chasing short-term results, short-term bonuses yeah. um, and not thinking about the bigger picture. Um, and I think, you know, what, while I suppose, you know, the European economy has been um, slower and, you know, returns have perhaps been less attractive in the short term over there, um, they are already thinking in this way. So in, the, in the Europe and the UK, um, you know, it's already there's the social contract that the companies have, they're expected to um, take a long-term view, expected to think about what's going to look, look good for them in five, 10 years, um, you know, not just on the next profit release in six, six months' time. Um, and I think, you know, we're sort of seeing how, I suppose, extreme capitalism is playing out in America at the moment. Like, it's great for the stock market, it's great returns, which is, you know, nice. Yeah. Um, but the society isn't well over there. Yeah. <laughs> and... And you do wonder, like, how long can that keep going on for? Like, that sort of extreme um, capitalism where they don't think about the side costs of, you know, what they're doing or the environmental impact of all the factory farming and the, the very um, fossil fuel-intensive uh, practices going on. Yeah. Um, you know, it's this sort of like they're just stacking up this big, giant debt of societal, environmental and, and government debt too that's just going to blow up on them at some point and I don't know you know I could be wrong about this for the next 10 years right <laughs> they could still, still you know be going the economy should could be firing along for another decade but just can't help thinking at a certain point this has got to come apart for them 
Um, <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. Um, compare that to something like China, where China has, they take a really long view uh, at a lot of things. And it's, it's kind of interesting where um, for all their faults, and which are many, they at least plan, they're, they're at least able to focus on what's going to make their country better and not mm. spend every single waking minute clawing for power or keeping others away from that power, which tends to be the rest of uh, the Western world. It just, I kind of like where Australia has been um, recently. Like it feels like the first time there's been stability, I swear in like a decade where a prime minister hasn't been usurped in the last six months. So I, <laughs> I feel like we're, uh, we're well and truly out of the curve considering yeah. our uh, last sort of 10 year uh, trajectory. It, but sort of that, that, that view of um, being able to focus on the future from a governmental point of view mm. is a huge benefit, I guess, of, of having a dictatorship, you know, which ultimately it is. Um, but in companies, more to your point, which was um, for people that are, I guess, attracted to those short-term benefits those short-term bonuses, those share buybacks that, you know, add mm. no value to the, to the company. And yet, you know, they're just spending profit to basically boost the, the shareholding value of, of, of the directors. There's yeah. a million, there's a million reasons why short-term thinking mm. um, doesn't work. And yet for whatever reason, we're fixated on it. And so that's a really good point. Like, I mean, if, if in the end, if the balance was, you know, after focusing on ESG investing for a handful of years, if we started thinking about the long term, if companies started thinking about the long term, then we're going to see more sustainable businesses. Certainly, there's a huge turnover in the American Fortune 500 just because mm. there seems to be so much short term thinking. Um, but, you know, I guess from where I'm sitting, I'm pretty positive about a lot of stuff. I, I think everything, you know, I'm, I'm not awfully old. I'm 37, but I, I, I do enjoy history and it's, there's ebbs and flows and, you know, like decades go by where it's pretty tough. And so we might be seeing, I guess, uh, some, you know, especially America where you mentioned that they're struggling with some things at the moment. I'm, I'm ultimately pretty optimistic about the whole thing. I, I tend to think that they'll, they'll get their act together. Mm. Um, yeah, that, that's my general view of it. Um, in regards to ethical investing, has it, has it operated or, or has it attracted um, or have you used it, I guess I should say, as an attraction mechanism for new clients or, or are you just seeing it as a part of the process once they're a new client? Yeah, it's not something I've used as a selling point at this stage. Um, I, as I said, I've had a really big renewed focus on it um, just in the last sort of six to 12 months. Um, but if I'm going to put myself out there as like an expert or somebody who specialises in this sort of thing, I'd personally like to get a few more runs on the board. Like maybe uh, that's just a personality thing. I'm not a fake it till you make it kind of person. Yep. <laughs> like, a, okay, I can really do this. I'm, I'm great at it. So now I'm not that I would say that, but probably, you know, uh, but like when I say I'm a retirement specialist or I can, you know, help people with 
pensions and retirement income. Like I've been doing that for 20 years, so I can say that with absolute confidence. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think it's something that um, I would probably use as more of a, uh, a selling point in the future once, you know, I'm, I'm more confident with it. But what it's added to my business in the meantime um, is the confidence to deal with those uh, clients and prospects that do raise it in a confident manner so that they feel safe investing with me. So when I ask them these questions and they say, yeah, actually, I do have these issues. I've now, I can now come from a position where I've thought about it and I've got some real answers for them <laughs> and, you know, that I can ask them questions that are meaningful and actually um, help them unpack their values a bit and, and come up with a portfolio that, that works for them. Um, because the other thing too is that, you know, you generally have to actually balance their... Um, idealism with uh, their other goals as well. So, you know, if you come to me and you want a very uh, low cost diversified portfolio, but you also have really strict ethical requirements, these things aren't necessarily compatible. Um, So we have to work through the process of like, okay, well, um, if if you want the most uh, actively filtered managed funds, they tend to be the most expensive. So. Are we light green? Are we deep green? Um, <laughs> are we deep green? Are, we, are you fluoro green? How green are we <laughs> yeah, or, you know, do you actually want to save on those MERs? Like, um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, so definitely it's been very important for me to have done um, the work that I, that I have done because there are at least three or four clients that I would have completely lost credibility with if I had those, been able to have those com- conversations and they're actually three or four really good clients. Like mm. people that tend to take a real interest in this stuff tend to be upper middle income earners. Interesting. Um, yeah, which is sort of like, you know, the sweet spot for me really. Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I think that these clients could possibly have turned around and walked out on me if I just, Train my hands up and say, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't, you know, want to deal with it. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's definitely been valuable being able to have these conversations and it's helped me clarify things for myself as well. Like, you know, what do I actually think is important? <laughs> yep. Yeah. And that's a really good point. Uh, I guess there is a level of self-reflection. Um, I, thankfully, well, depending on how you, uh, you measure the concept of thankfully, but as I haven't advised for the last couple of years, I haven't needed to go on that journey myself personally. So, um, <laughs> who knows? I could be lining up specifically for the caged eggs. I've got no idea at this stage. Um, what I was going to say earlier about, um, the attraction of clients via, you know, if you were to use ethical investments as an attraction mechanism, do you find that, the cost is prohibitive in a way. So I guess rather than examining that question from the view of, you know, whether you an expertise in ethical investments or not, but Mm. do you find that there's a a prohibitive cost attached to someone that does want to enter into this type of investing? And is there an, is there sort of a level where it scares people away in your experience um, and is there a sweet spot, I guess, is, is, is there, is there a benefit to cost amount that you're finding to be easy to achieve? Um, yeah. So look, I had one client in particular who had uh, very conflicting goals in that he wanted to take a strident stance on 
climate change and divesting himself from fossil fuels. Um, but at the same time, you know, he was a barefooter. He'd, he'd read um, Scott Pape and he wanted uh, index type fees. And so I had to have the whole conversation with him about how these two things don't go together. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, you can't pay like 0.2% and have an ethically filtered portfolio. That's just not how it's going to work. Mm. Um, so I was able to come to a compromise point with him where, um, you know, we, we use the uh, ethically filtered ETFs. Um, so, you know, both uh, Van Eck and VitaShares now have ETFs that uh, are, I suppose, like filtered index approaches, if you like, that try and upweight uh, more desirable or, you know, greener companies and, and downweight or exclude completely, uh, you know, the, the, the baddies, if you like. Mm. Um, so we, we were able to meet in the middle on that and, you know, just for good measure, for a bit of diversification to lower the cost. Um, you know, there is some uh, pure index in his portfolio as well. So um, because that was super important to him. Yeah. So we ended up with an approach where we had roughly, you know, a third in just straight index where I had to say to him, like, look, there's going to be guns and fat, you know, some cigarettes and <laughs> booze and he's going to have everything in there, right? Just because if that's your goal, you're just going to accept that. Um, and then we had roughly a, a third of the um, portfolio in uh, the, the filtered ETFs <laughs> and, and then the other third were, you know, in sort of more... Um, actively managed and, and more expensive managed funds that, that took a more proactive um, stance. And yeah, that, that was sort of where we, where we landed at the end of a couple of um, long conversations. <laughs> um, that makes sense, you know, because then you're, you're, and that, I mean, ultimately is the role of a financial planner. You, you have competing goals and then you have to have conversations, which ultimately leads to the best outcome comp considering there are competing goals. Here mm. is ultimately where you're most comfortable. And um, yeah, my, I mean, my God, that, that is, uh, is real advice. Um, is there, uh, considering this is the ethical, uh, you know, advice series, is there anything that um, you've found surprising about, the conversations with clients about ESG investing, like as it's become, you know, over the last 12 months, you said you've sort of had a little bit more of a renewed focus on it. Um, mm. What do you, was there something that sort of took you by surprise at any stage that, but beyond sort of, as you mentioned earlier, like your clients saying, actually, yeah, this does mean a lot to me. And you saying, Oh, wow. You know, like I should, I probably should have thought about that earlier, but it, has there been um, anything else? Has there been a theme, any kind of themes, any kind of trends? Is there, is, you know, if you think about sort of your, your client base and those that you're having conversations with, is there anything at all that stands out? Oh, look, so if we want to talk about the trend, the trend isn't surprising at all. Like you said, the trend is towards um, increased environmental consciousness. The, the trend is... Uh, towards divesting from fossil fuels and, you know, moving to a more um, climate-friendly <laughs> uh, style of portfolio. Um, I guess what was surprising, though, is that there was also great variation. So, you know how earlier I said it was sort of 50-50, half cared, half had ideas and half didn't. Um, what surprised me about the half of the client, the 50% that said they did have some ethical concerns, were actually really varied 
So I'd say like probably half of them were, you know, on the sustainability thing. Um, but the other half were like all over the place. <laughs> um, you know, they, they range from, uh, I just prefer not to have any, you know, guns and weaponry, you know, just the really obvious stuff. Right, yes. Through to like the extreme of, you know, I only want to invest in like, you know, wind farms and <laughs> things that make the world better. Like, okay, that's a pretty wide range. And the other thing that you find when you start sort of digging into the managed funds is some of the managed funds that call themselves ethical would actually not pass the filter of most of most of these clients. So there's it's a couple of funds out there. I won't name names because I might get some hate mail. Um, <laughs> There are a couple of funds that have ethical in their name, but when you actually read the PDS or look into them, it's really just, like I said, that really basic level of that every ethical investor would expect. Like, we're just not going to blow people up and kill them with cigarettes, and that's it. Right, oh, yes. Great, great effort, guys. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, that, that surprised me as, as well. Just because it's got ethical in the name doesn't mean that it's actually going to beat your client's goals at all. Yeah, that, I guess that's my only... Uh, that's my only critique of it from, from the point of view of the advisor is once the Pandora box has been opened, it's hard to close and it's hard to sometimes find a perfect solution for everyone mm. because, because everyone is so varied. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out, I guess, over the next couple of years. I think probably, you know, the, the ethical fund you, which could be any fund unnamed remains unnamed. But, uh, you know, it probably might have started out that that was ethical. And then at this stage, we consider this ethical. And then five Mm. years and 10 years from now, you know, maybe what we call ethical now is no no longer ethical. And um, there's a a journey, I think, that collectively as investors we're we're taking. Um, I hope we don't make it overly complex. You know, I hope hope eventually we we just arrive at, at a point where, you know, I guess... Not everyone's happy about everything, but, um, but we're making decisions that I guess lead to a, a better world ultimately. And we're using capitalism to do that because at the end of the day, if, if advice comes down to, can you help me pick the, uh, you know, amongst the 20 companies that I'm able to invest in on the stock market, then that's mm. not going to be fun for anyone because, you know, it's, it's going to be very difficult to do. But at the same time, I think it's a great thing. I think being emotionally engaged in your investments, and it's kind yeah. of interesting, like from that point of view, because if you think about the trends in financial planning, it was all about investments. And then we sort of over time brought in this idea of, you know, uh, coaching and being emotionally engaged in uh, goals and plans and what you want out of life. And at a certain point, maybe investments didn't get the attention that it deserved. But now there's this whole topic of emotional engagement that, that we're going to be able to, I guess, lean on and say, actually, um, you know, this is, this is how your investments performed. But uh, this is actually, you know, you're, you're still making the world a better place by so you can sleep well at night knowing that you're having an effect on the world without having to pick up your your, your stick and your sign that says don't burn down the tree. Right. So like we're, yeah. it's, it's kind of, it, it is a good news story at the end of the day as well. So very oh, pleased yeah, about no. that. I mean, I'm all for freedom of speech, go protest. But at the end of the day, I think this is a much better and effective and efficient way to stop something like Rio doing 
what they did, you know. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, no one's, no two, one's going to let that 200,000 people out on the street. Do you think Rio would care? No, of, of, no, of course not. <laughs> but but, but uh, Australian Super turning up and saying, no, no, sorry, team, that doesn't fly. That's great. That's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's a huge... It's a huge, I would say ethical investments are a huge benefit for advisors in that it adds an, another entire overlay of conversation that can be had and, and, and discussed. And, and I mean, ultimately at the end of the day, advisors just trying to add as many items in that column of value. And, and this mm. is a, this is one of many that exist now. Um, Liz, out of respect for your time, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so glad considering you're award-winning, you know, XY award-winning <laughs> advisor. And, uh, and, and I'm glad we finally uh, have you on the podcast to talk about this uh, really important topic. So um, yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Okay. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.